Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. So today we have Carla, and Carla wrote in with something that I feel um, we've been hearing quite a bit, I think, especially during the pandemic. Um, it sounds like you lost your job in October, which is kind of what I'm referencing. I've been working with a lot of people that have either lost jobs or have been in transition in jobs. Um, and it sounds like you actually had a breakup followed right after the job, uh, losing up the job. And you're struggling with love addiction and codependency. So I'm curious to know if that's kind of something that was like a revelation after the loss or, you know, where that kind of transitioned in to your knowledge. Um, but she says, I'm now working on learning to thrive in my single life and building a new career. So mm. I'd love Carla for you to just kind of give us like the overview. Hey, well, um, yeah, it feels like that happened a lifetime ago. Mm. We're already February. October, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, so yeah, it was it was a lot all at once. And the love addiction codependency work I've been doing, I would say the love addiction work I've been doing has been a year, a year, almost mm. 14 months that I've been working on that aspect of my life. So pre-breakup. Yeah, oh, way pre, pre okay. actually the, the relationship that I was in was was five months. So it was okay. work okay. I'd been doing before I even got into the relationship. And I I knew when I got into the relationship that I had done a lot of work and that I'd done a lot of healing. So I, I thought I'm, I'm ready for this. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm good to go. I'm, I'm healed or not healed, but mm -hmm. you know, partially healed. I know what, I know what my problems are. Mm -hmm. And then when I got into the relationship, that's when I realized, and I was working with a therapist at the time, 
a lot because I, I was being triggered incredibly by new things, stuff mm. I had never even realized before. And what, what we realized after a couple of months was that my therapy needed to be focused more on codependency. So I started to uh, add in um, CODA rather than just working with um, SLA, uh, mm -hmm. Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. So CODA, I found, was where I started to really, really get it. I found with, with Sex and Love Addiction, um, the focus, at least the focus in the group meetings, tended to be a lot on the, you know, the sex addiction, the general sex and love addiction. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't really identify with that aspect of it. Um, and in my relationship, I really didn't identify with it anymore either. It was really the codependency. It was the constant um, worrying about, you know, why isn't he texting me back? Why isn't he calling me? Why doesn't he want to spend time with me? Mm. Uh, all of that stuff. Um, and that was, yeah, that's. Where, and so that uh, was that worry and that kind of, um, like you said that you were being triggered in ways that you really hadn't experienced prior was some of that stuff, some of these new triggers. Like, give me a little bit more, I guess, explanation of when you say you were being triggered in new ways. I'm just curious to know what those were. I would say, I would say it was really, well, it wasn't new. I think it had always been there, but what the, what the sex and love addiction, the, the work I had done with sex and love addiction was in choosing the right person, not just, mm -hmm. not just wanting to be with anyone, but mm -hmm. really being, really choosing my partners because what drove me into the sex and love addiction was um, someone I had met that I thought I really liked. Um, and I got into a relationship with him after five days that we knew each other. And then we booked a flight to Nicaragua together. Mm -hmm. And then I realized after five days that, oh my God, I, I don't even like this person. <laughs> yeah. And after doing, you know, after doing similar, after having similar relationships like that, and just, you know, similar dating experiences like that, that's when I realized that love addiction would really help me. And so hmm. when I started love addiction therapy for about three months, I didn't date anyone mm -hmm. um, on purpose. I really worked on myself. And then once I decided, okay, I'm, you know, I, I feel like I've done a lot of work. I feel like I'm going to be better now at choosing the partner and being more discerning in the beginning. And I was, you know, the partner that I chose was someone who was really suited to me, who I had a lot of respect for and really cared about. But then, um, but then everything kind of fell apart. He lost his job. Mm. He started smoking a lot more marijuana than he was before. And he just became this I wouldn't say he became a different person. He became the person he was, but he stopped being the person I wanted him to be. Mm. <laughs> the person that I imagined him to be. Because I, I find that's another problem I have is that when I um, when I meet someone and I want to date them, I have a tendency to project um, project this image upon them of who they are when it's not really who they are. It's more the person that I want them to be in my head mm -hmm. and so the more he the more he fell into his own depression and smoking smoking more and more marijuana to the point where I just couldn't handle it anymore he 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 just wasn't in touch with the person that you know I thought he was mm -hmm. and I kept waiting for him to come back and and be that person again um and eventually I just realized that he would never be that person because he never was that person. Mm -hmm. 
Well, so Carla, I think what's coming up for me is it feels like you've done a lot of this baseline work of attempting to sort of start to understand, right? Like what are some of the patterns? What are some of the things that are continuously showing up for me um, in relationships? And, you know, I, I'm still feeling a pull of like wanting to know more about like, where is your understanding of you in this? And I think it is powerful that you're saying I'm sort of like dropping into the space of my single self, right? Because I honestly don't think three or four months alone is very long at all, right? Like I think, you know, if we look at it in terms of like sex and love addiction and certainly CODA programs, they would normally maybe suggest like a year yeah. mm-hmm. um, just to really like feel that space of like, what it feels like not to have that release valve of a relationship that ah, of like, okay, now I'm back in the thing that feels familiar. And I think that it's, it's really common for us to sort of identify our patterns and then feel like we get pulled right back in once we get back into that space of being in a relationship again, you know? So it's, I think it's really important for us to give ourselves that like solid um, amount of time where it's almost feels like it's become I don't want to say like the thing I'm more used to being by myself for a while, but a little bit of like, I just really like have dropped into the space where, um, I'm not like, this isn't like the abnormal thing. Like, it's not like my baseline is with someone. It's like for a while I'm feeling what it feels like to just be with me. So first of all, what comes up as I say that, and then second, like, what are you starting to understand as you have been in these four months of singlehood? Yeah. Well, what I what I realize, what I have realized is that I, I do have a tendency of not appreciating the time with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a tendency of, of valuing time with other people and, you know, trying to make plans with other people very often, whether it's a partner or whether it's just with friends. And one aspect that I've been working on that I realized, you know, since a few weeks is that I just I need to really start loving myself more and valuing that time that I have. So whether it's, you know, just staying home and ordering a pizza Mm. um, and, you know, watching a good episode or two of The Crown, um, (laughs) but just really, yeah, just putting, putting value on that and not feeling like, oh, that's, you know, like, oh yeah, I'll have like a couple of nights a week by myself and then, you know, get really excited about going out with friends, but really make that you know, that time that it's just me make it really special. Mm. Um, and that's an area. And one, one other aspect that I actually was thinking about, um, and this is a little off topic and I'm sorry about that, but I, uh, I, I noticed this week, um, because I have been working with, with Coda and with a sponsor and working on the steps and working on identifying, you know, my, um, my uh, shortcomings, identifying my, uh, my, I forget the other word, but anyway, just identifying all the areas that I want to, that I want to work on and that I want to, you know, improve and feel better about myself um, and my relationships with others. And one area that I've noticed is, and it's, it's, it seems like a very small issue, but it's kind of big. It's, um, it's response, people's response time to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something that really affects me to a huge extent. So if I send someone a text message asking them, you know, like, Hey, want to hang out or, or even just text message to say like anything. Hmm. Um, and this can be with partners. This can be with potential people that I date. This can be with friends, but it really 
really crushes me to a point when people don't respond. And I wonder, and I was having this debate with a friend of mine last night and he's, you know, he's kind of, he's my best friend. So he's always sort of giving it to me straight. And his opinion is I just have too many expectations of people and some people just don't respond. And I'm just wondering, you know, what the two of you would say about that in, in what cases is it okay? In what cases is it not? Mm. I don't know if I would say when is it okay and when is it not. I mean, you know, I think you've been doing the work with a therapist too. So there's always going to be the layer, there's the codependency piece for sure. And then there's the layer underneath it, which is like, why is this one of your triggers, right? Mm -hmm. Because the response from somebody to you, I would say is kind of wrapped up in some codependency stuff. Um, and, And if that's one of your kind of top ones, right? That's one of your top kind of triggers. I would be curious to do a little bit more digging um, with your therapist around the why, just understanding where that comes from, because my guess is that there's probably some specific wounding around that. And and maybe you can't get to it. It might be pre-verbal or something that you can't access, but that is interesting to me. Like as your therapist, I would be curious about the kind of why. Um, But also I'd be curious around... um, I say this, it's like when you say when it's okay and when it's not okay, um, I guess I'm wondering, do you put words to it when it doesn't feel okay? Regardless of if it's a romantic relationship or a friendship, do you put words to it or do you find yourself pulling inward and just kind of feeling hurt and resentful about it? I find myself not so much putting words and maybe I should put words to it, but I find myself going to these um, automatic, like I just draw these conclusions. Mm -hmm. So automatically, if the person hasn't responded within a certain amount of time, okay, clearly they're not interested in either being friends with me or dating me or, or having anything to do with me. And it's sometimes so it's so completely ridiculous. Like it could be, you know, a really close friend that Mm -hmm. just hasn't responded. And suddenly like I've, I've written off the friendship, um, it's, I mean, it's not a fantasy, but it's almost like a fantasy that I've created. Like I've created this whole scenario that doesn't even exist. And then eventually the person does get back to me and it's, you know, it, and it, it harms, it really harms the relationship too, because I've, you know, I've written people off because of it. Yeah. I agree with Vanessa that some of this does feel like early attachment wound stuff Mm -hmm. to me. And I think that there is, you know, work to sort of unpack, like, um, what sort of does get activated, but also what I think is useful is to really work to sort of, and you're doing a lot of this work, right? Like you're doing this by being in CODA and like starting to like really take your own inventories, but it's building my own sense of self, right? Mm -hmm. Um, really like being in relationship with myself in the way that you're talking about so that I start to distinguish the difference between, um, my solitude and why that can be something that I really cherish because I am in relationship with myself and I myself am enough and I love myself. Um, which is a very different experience of life than I need someone else here to be attached to in order to be okay. As I know, you know, um, doing codependency work, right? Um, one of the things I think is really helpful from my perspective um, in 
the activation points about around what you're talking about is I love the book, the four agreements. I love the the thing of like taking nothing personally, personally. because nothing is personal, right? If we look at every single person you're in relationship with as having their own world, their own life, their own stories circulating in their head, their own anxieties, their own worries, like none of it is personal, mm-hmm. right? Every experience of us, anyone else has is always, always a projection of their own stuff. Now, to Vanessa's point, that doesn't mean that sometimes we don't need to communicate how things feel for us or what's coming up for us, but also no matter what, like someone else's response you. to you is not about you. <laughs> it's about it's never personal. So I can hold that and sort of say, you know, if someone hasn't responded to me, notice the narrative that's coming up in my head around the fact that they haven't responded. Um, and can I challenge it? Even if it were true that they're not responding because they don't value our, yeah, they don't value me or whatever the story is. I tell myself, do I value me? Like, can I bring it back to how I feel about me? And, and it doesn't actually matter what other, that other person's perception of me is because it isn't about me anyway. So I have to bring it back to like, am I enough for me? Am I enough? You're speaking, Danae, I mean, what I want to piggyback on that and say, you know, the thing with, I mean, I'll say codependency, but really, I, I'm really the more and more work I do with this around myself, my own codependency, working with clients. It's like, I swear to God, I've not met a single human that doesn't struggle with codependency. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah. I am starting to realize like this idea of like, you know, I think going to doing the coda meetings and stuff is great. And I really want to be cautious about like, um, you know, pathologizing some of this stuff, because I really truly believe that so much of this is the human experience. Um, and what Danae is saying about, you know, it being a reflection of them and not you and like needing somebody else to tell me I'm okay. I would actually even take it a step further and say, it's for you, at least from what I'm hearing, it's not necessarily to reflect back to you that you're okay. It's to reflect back to you that you exist. Mm. And that's the attachment that deep, right? right? Which is partly why I think Danae and I both are going, what's going on, you know, historically, where's that attachment wound there? Because that sounds deeper than just, I need to be told I'm okay by this person. It's like, I actually need to be reflected back to that. I physically, spiritually, emotionally exist as a being. Um, And in order to feel that I need to have that reflected. Right. Um, So there's some really interesting, I think, work to do in that space. Um, You know, when I was saying earlier about like, have you spoken to it? I mean, look, I I do believe in this term. My partner and I kind of coined this idea of like responsible communication, which is like, how much of this is yours, right? And how much of it, like to Danae's point, do you need to kind of sit with this and, and say like, is this my attachment stuff being triggered? You know, this isn't about me. It's not personal, challenging those kind of thoughts that you know, logically are not true. Right. Um, and then how much of it actually is depending on the relationship worthy of bringing up. Now, when I say put words to it, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, in a conflict kind of way, I don't necessarily mean to say to somebody like you did this thing to me and it hurt my feelings. I think a lot of this stuff can be healed, not healed, like one and done, but like there's healing. Mm -hmm. in. I like to use this term workshopping. There is healing in the workshopping of the stuff that comes up with us to people that we actually do feel loved and connected to. Mm -hmm. So take like your best friend, for example, let's say he doesn't respond back to you and you, you have this sensation, you get this feeling of like, he obviously doesn't love me as much as I love him. He doesn't respect me as much, you know, and the storyline kind of starts. I do believe there's healing once you've had some time to say to him. So the other night 
this thing happened. And I found myself in this spiral and I know that it's not true, but man, it really activated something in me. And I thought it was worthy of bringing up to you because, you know, we're close and I wanted to like almost work through it with you. Now you're not putting it on him, but you're more in a very vulnerable way, letting him in on the like messiness that is you mm. as a human. And I do believe that it helps those people understand us more because look, it's not his responsibility to make sure that you never feel hurt or alone. Right. But it is at the same time, if he loves you and he respects you, it's something to be like, Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that was such a pain point for you noted. I don't know. There's just something I have found to be very healing and this ability to bring that messiness to somebody that we're close to and almost like work through it with them. Um, and I'm wondering kind of how that feels. It does. And I have, I have brought it up with, uh, with my best friend and he's actually, he's actually, he's, he's of the type that, you know, like if somebody doesn't respond, if he, if he, like he's of the belief that like if somebody doesn't respond to you, who cares? That's just how. Which is probably you know, why you're best friends. <laughs> he <laughs> like the yin to your yang. <laughs> he is the yin to my yang. Yeah. But I just, I, to me, it's like somebody not responding to a text, whether it's, uh, you know, a romantic situation or a friendship situation, to me, that's like appallingly rude. Like if somebody mm. says like, hey, want to get together tomorrow and you just don't answer, like I, maybe I'm completely out there, but his opinion is no, it's, it's perfectly normal. Like in this day and age, like sometimes people just don't respond to texts. Yes and no. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I, you both are a little right in that one, right? I think it's like what Danae was saying, like how much am I taking personally? But also there are expectations of how I want to be treated. Yeah, in a relationship. Exactly. Exactly. And that's and that's, that's the okay. balance that I'm yeah. that's the balance that I'm really having trouble with is yeah. you know, balancing the fact that I know I have some serious wounds when it comes to that. I know it goes back to my childhood. I know it goes back to, you know, feelings of abandonment with my dad, enmeshment with my mom, all of that. But so I know where it's coming from. I know, I know that I have to work on it. I know that I have to not take it so personally. But like you're saying, I'm wondering. You know, I know that sometimes there's scenarios where it's okay for people to not respond, but then there's other scenarios where, you know, I, I also need to protect myself from having people in my life that can hurt me. And I've mm -hmm. had people in my life that have hurt me. And so I'm trying to, you know, weed out those potential, uh, those potential people. Yeah. yeah. And I think what Vanessa is saying about you know, not falling into this trap we have of pathologizing ourselves is also really important because as you say it, you know, with a little bit more detail, like I send a message, like, do you want to get together? And that person just straight up doesn't respond. I'm like, well, actually that's, <laughs> that's a little bit of a different thing. Like if someone just completely ignores your text message, that to me is a little bit like, well, that is kind of hurtful. Disrespectful. Fair yeah. enough. Right. Um, and I think that there is a difference between taking something personal and making it about me and something that I am going to like embody is like, this means there's something wrong with me and yeah. sort of the discernment around this relationship doesn't feel great for me. Right. right? Like yeah. I can make the discerning decision to say, I want to surround myself with people that I feel very seen by very thought of by um, respected. Yeah. Like yeah. all of those things. And that is like a value of like, what's important to me because that's how much I value myself mm -hmm. feels different than, 
you know, someone doesn't respond to me and I'm cutting them off because, you know, um, all my stuff's been activated. (laughs) Yes. Because I, I have a problem and I'm so codependent and here it comes again. Like, I don't know if I actually agree with that. And going back to what I was saying though, about putting words to it, here's the thing, even in those situations, and it sounds like you, you have kind of practiced this, um, you know, I think it's Harriet Lerner that says sometimes, I think, especially on the codependent side, um, we jump to the easy out of cutoff. Mm. So we skip over the hard work, hard relational work of actually having the conversation, the hard conversation, and we skip to the easy thing, which is the cutoff, right? Now, we're not talking about maybe like a guy that you've gone on like two dates with kind of thing. But if these are people in your life that actually have been around you for a long time, and you consider them friends, um, you know, if they do something like, you know, do you want to hang out and they don't respond? Paying attention to, am I jumping to cut off or am I first respecting myself enough to have a conversation about how I am I'm hurt by that and why? Um, mm-hmm. And then allowing them to kind of respond in kind, right? Because you can't control if they're going to say, I'm sorry, you're right, I'll do better, I'll try, right? Or fuck off and they cut you off. Like there's no way we can obviously predict that or control that. But what you can control is you also saying, Hey, I respect myself enough to ask that you respect me too. I don't know. How does that feel? Feels good. Feels good. It makes a lot of sense. And I think we have to give ourselves space to be a little messy with it to like say like, this is, this is awkward for me. Like I don't love bringing this up, but I'm practicing saying when things don't feel great. And I got to tell you, you, I sent you this text message on Friday. You never responded. And it just, it made me feel blank. Right. X, Y, and Z. Yep. Yeah. This is hard stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like people say like, just communicate. And it's like, it's not that easy. No, it's, so. it's really not easy. And I am so awkward about communicating. <laughs> it's really embarrassing. Yeah, we, I mean, we all are. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, it's like a muscle that we build and it gets easier the more we allow ourselves to be a little awkward with it, to mm-hmm. say the thing, right? Like I love to say it's like, being on the offensive with it. Like I'm going to say something and this is going to be awkward and, you know, but I'm practicing doing something that I haven't really done a lot in my relationships, which is, you know, instead of pulling back when something hurts me, I speak to it and I invite that person into the conversation with me. Right. And that like, really, like I find like breaks someone's heart open to just like, Oh my gosh, tell me more about that, Carla. Like, you know, I want to be here with you in that. Um, we think our vulnerability is going to repel people. I find it actually has the opposite impact. And sometimes it it doesn't. Unless they are not open to that, but then that's information, right? If someone is not- I've had that experience, right? Where like you get vulnerable and someone can't handle that vulnerability because here's the thing, it reflects back to them their kind of blind spots. Their inability to be vulnerable. right, Right, to look at that. And so again, that goes back to the not taking it personally. It's like, if you show up and try to be vulnerable because you're trying to shift the dynamic of your relationships and this person can't hang- well, that's information about their capacity and it has nothing to do with you. And you just, you know, I mean, again, easier said than done, but like you just be proud of yourself for being authentic to you, respecting yourself enough to speak up. And then you kind of let that person do their thing, you know? I think my, uh, my go-to, my go-to growing up was always um, either crying or screaming. It was never, it was never in between. So in my, you know, last couple of relationships, kind of learning, 
I would say like my early relationships, I resorted to that, the screaming and the crying to get my way, manipulation. And my last couple of relationships, I've really tried to communicate. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bumbling my way through it, but it, uh, eventually but I I remember something you had said Vanessa in one of the uh, one of our CODA classes um, you'd said to me that you can't you know you you might still always be attracted to the same types of people um, but the being able to find someone who you can communicate with and who can sort of hear you out and listen you know and mm. and I'm realizing you know so I'll look at my past relationships and realize like okay you know what yeah I, I did try to communicate but this person was not open to it and this person did not you know they 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 acted like they were but they weren't really open to it and they weren't you know respecting my vulnerability and mm. all of that Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like we realize that we are healing and growing when we start to see that as like Vanessa just said, their lack of capacity to hold that space versus this being something that has to do with my worth. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you said, you're going to stumble through it, you know? Um, and, you know, I know, I'm sure we've talked about this in the CODA classes. It's like, I find myself in, like I probably have said, like relationships and even my relationship now, like the dynamic is still there, like underneath it all, mm -hmm. the dynamic that I know that I've always been attracted to, right, is still there underneath the surface. But what's different is that this person is also committed to showing up in vulnerability, in messiness, looking at themselves, taking their own kind of inventory, you know, trying not to personalize all the things that I'm attempting to do in my messiness, they're attempting to do too. And really to me, at least at this point in my life, I feel like that's good enough. Mm. You know, and, and I, and I find the same in my friendships. It's like, look at Danae and I, you know, I mean, I look at her in the same way. It's like, neither one of us is perfect, but we're both open to being messy allowing the other person to see us be messy and also allowing space for the other person to be messy without judging or shutting it down. And to me, that's enough. Yeah. I like that. Embracing all the messy. I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is, this was a really good conversation. I'm glad you kind of were like, you know, I've got this other thing that I want to steer yeah. into because actually I think there was a lot of richness in that. Yeah. And I'm mm -hmm. grateful that you did that and just yeah, kind of brought what was coming up for you. <laughs> In the moment. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you both. I, I really, I really appreciate your, uh, your tat lab classes and mm -hmm. um, yeah, you, you're both doing such amazing work. It's, uh, it's really inspiring. Oh, thank you, for thank, that. You. thank you for that. We're grateful for you showing up, you know, and just like being part of the community that's again, committed to, right. Just being messy yeah. and like doing what they can. Showing up messy. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wow. Please keep us posted. Let us know how okay. things are going. What's going on All with right. you? And we'll see you in the lab, obviously. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, Take care. Have Bye, a great Carla. Day. Bye. I love conversations, which honestly is kind of 90% of the conversations we have with therapy clients, but I love conversations that somebody comes in and says, I want to, I mean, they were related, but I want to work on this specific thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, can I actually take a left turn? Hmm. And there's so much kind of richness and and information in that left turn that, you know, ladders up to, I guess, the greater conversation, but when people don't judge it and they just kind of let their psyches go where they want to go. Yeah. It, and it feels like the layers that maybe we would have 
thought were underneath what she was bringing into the picture around the relational stuff and this thing of being single. And um, it's interesting that the way it is manifesting right now is in, you know, the activation that comes up when I haven't gotten the text or whatever it is. But um, yeah, I feel like these things continue to present themselves asking us to have a look, right? Asking mm-hmm. us to shine a light on like, what is this that this keeps really being difficult for me to sit with? Yeah. And I always say like, you know, since we are relational creatures, I mean, there is a lot of value in taking, especially if you're somebody who does have um, kind of a quote unquote addiction to other people, right? To relationships. Mm-hmm. I do see there being value in taking that time and being alone and and being with yourself and sitting with loneliness. And what does that mean? What does that trigger? And because we're relational and we need other people to trigger us, um, you know, what's great about what she's experiencing right now is she's actually being triggered even by friends and <laughs> she's open to even noticing that. And that's going to be huge in, in romantic relationships, right. Or, or family or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's really beautifully said V because I think that while on the one hand, I'm sort of now of the school of thought that like everybody should be like single for a period of time in their adult lives. I just think it's such rich soil for really getting to know yourself in a different way. We will always be in relationship with people, hopefully, Mm -hmm. like we will always have community. We'll always have people in our lives that mirror back to us, um, where there is some healing work to be done. And yeah, a lot of times that looks like our friendships and, um, and can I like, like you said to her, like workshop some of these things around vulnerability with the people I know love me, um, care for me and will be here because that mm-hmm. feels like a safe place to workshop it. I, I workshop stuff with you all the time because it's the safe space for me to do it. Right. 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 Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm really big on this idea of workshopping now. Like it's kind of like become a thing that I'm I don't know, a stake in the ground that I keep making and, and I'm trying to practice myself because I, I just find so many of us, um, especially in the world of wellness, it's like, it's become so like, I've done the work and I'm perfect, which is such bullshit, right? You can't, and I always say to people, it's like, you don't just like wake up one day and can go like mountain biking. Like you've got to have, I literally said this last night attack lab class. I'm like, you have to be on that plastic tricycle with those like little streamers coming off the handlebars and those clunky ass, like, you know, um, training wheels and you've got to fall and you've got to scrape your knees. Like you don't get to just jump to that other extreme level. You know, no one's going to become like a BMX rider. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, when you think about that image is like, you don't get to skip the training wheels guys. Like that's part of the work. So to your point, can you do that with people who, you know, really do love you and care about you? Um, cause it's going to help. It's all going to add to the skills. Yeah. And I mean, even as you say, I've done the work, like it's yeah. somehow ever going to be like a past tense thing. Like, like you're done. What we came to this life to do is the work. Like mm-hmm. it continues forever. Forever. Until this life is no more. <laughs> as long as we're breathing. So yep. this idea that I've done the work and like I can put a check mark by anything. It's like, what are you talking about? Are you yeah. still alive? We are still in the work. The work continues, my friend. Yeah, yeah but you and I get off by that. Like we get excited <laughs> with that idea. Most people are like, oh dear God, I'm exhausted. Let Enough. It be over. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about it, y'all. It's never going to be over. Danae and I are like we happily love- rubbing our hands together, even though you're probably like, oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, y'all. We'll see you. uh, See you, hear you, talk to you next episode. It's happening. I'm so excited. Uh, We're bringing it back after high demand. We're doing our second retreat from self-abandonment to inner belonging. 
Yeah. I feel like this first retreat experience for both of us, I'm going to speak for both of us, was just such a potent, powerful, moving time. Um, There were just like so many beautiful breakthroughs, so many, um, you know, ways that all of the people that came to the retreat spoke to us about like things that they understood that they had never really had a way to articulate for themselves or tools that they took away from the retreat that they didn't know how much they needed in their lives. Right. Yeah. And I think if you missed the last one, right. And you weren't able to come and you're interested June 25th to June 27th, we're hosting it again. And this is really for anybody who has any kind of trouble showing up as their authentic self, right? Do you struggle with setting boundaries? Do you struggle with people pleasing? Do you struggle with potentially numbing or hiding from your true self? Do you struggle with, I don't know, what you and I like to call some spiritual bypassing? Are you like, it could be worse or positive vibes only? Let's not think about the negative, right? Which we see so often in our culture today. Um, Are you interested in doing some shadow work, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a big thing right now. And I I think obviously Danae and I being depth psychologists, this is a really important topic for us. So we're really excited to bring this to you all again. Please join us June 25th, June 27th. And you guys can sign up at vanessabennett.com backslash retreats. Can't wait to see you there. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com